Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Arts Equator Theatre Podcast. This month, we are going to speak about the M1 Singapore Fringe Festival, which has a theme of my country and my people. And with me today is Matt Lyon. Hello. And Nabila Syed. Hello. So we will be discussing three shows for today's session. They are Contemplating Kopitiam and Kampung Wahasan by Oliver Chong and Nafa. Tiny Country by Attempts, and finally Secretive Thing 215. So, by Lemon yeah, and Coco. By Lemon and Coco. So, very different productions. And, you know, we were just talking about how this year's Fringe was probably the fringiest of mm. the fringes, you know. Yeah, experimental craziness. Some very craziness. experimental, experiential things going on. So, let's just dive right into that. We'll start with Contemplating Kopitiam. And Kampung Wat Hassan. Okay, so this was a play performed by students from NAFA's BA Theatre Arts and directed by Oliver Chong. The script is a combination of excerpts from Kopitiam that was by Kopal Kun. He wrote that in like 1986. Uh, followed by um, Anak Bulan di Kampung Wat Hassan by Alfian Saad, written in 2006. So that was like 20 years after. And lastly, um, he put in verbatim text gleaned from interviews that Oliver had done with the students and that was roughly around the idea of like identity and home and issues frankly quite a lot of things yeah and Naeem started us off by saying that this was the fringiest fringe I would agree with that but this was not the fringiest show for me mm-hmm. uh, yes it was smashing together two scripted plays in a bit of verbatim but in a very boring and disparate way. I think that the overall concept that Oliver was trying to go for, especially like based on the synopsis at least, was he was trying to do this like rough sweep of like the things that people were worried about, like, you know, comparing the mm. pioneer generation to like post-Merdeka generation and now like the millennial generation. Yes. But there was this like, he, I felt like he was trying to do too much, basically. What you say there came through to me retrospectively when I went home and looked in the fridge. I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's what they were trying to do. But in the performance itself, although you had scenes from each of the two scripted plays kind of running concurrently and somewhat weaving through each other, mm. they never really appeared to be talking to each other in any meaningful way. And then the verbatim of the millennial acting students was completely separate from that. So I didn't really get a sense of confrontation or conversation. It just appeared like an unmixed salad. No, I think I have to agree with Matt here. It felt very disparate. So there were excerpts from Alfian and Kopal Kun's two plays, you know, which I think were quite faithful to the original text. And then there were just these series of, you know, coffee conversations with a group of millennials, which didn't feel very edited as well. And I just felt it was quite heavy handed because it was obviously shoehorned into certain issues. Let's talk about education. Let's talk about housing. Let's talk about the cost of living in Singapore, those kind of issues. And it would abruptly end, and this really grated on me, with um, mobile phone ringing. Do you know what? I think I'm just going to edit that into this podcast. Every time we have a pause, I'm just going to put some freaking mobile phone ringtone in there and then apologize for it. Their phones would ring and then they'd say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And this happened how many times? At least five times. What? Oh, 20 or something. Okay, I was well, going in the double digits, yeah. certainly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, but they kept apologizing for it. Okay, if that's your transition, it's a bad transition. Don't do it. But don't do it and then apologize for it. But also, when you do it twenty times, then yeah. it gets really grating and annoying. Even if maybe you had a point that you were trying to make that might have been smart. And and just on that point of being grating, that was the main feeling I got about、mm. this production. So obviously, there's Kopitiam, which is a play about the older generation having a kind of conversation with the younger about taking care of this Kopitiam, and the son wants to migrate to. Canada and all that—that's, you know, fine. You know, it's about intergenerational classic conflict,、territory. classic KPK sort of thing, and Anat Bulan kind of excavates this. But there were just very, very grating directorial choices,、mm-hmm. which I felt did not sit very well with the text. So one example would be. Scattering of leaves. Now I understand this might have been from. I think it was mentioned the, the Alfian, in、uh, in Anabulan's、yeah. play. A character would come with this huge bucket of leaves and just scatter it slowly on the stage for about five minutes. And another character would just at one point in time start skipping.、Mm. Yeah, for to about begin with, ten the, minutes.、Uh, the stage was set out in a grid of chairs at the start. For what reason now? At first, it looked like they were like in a movie, cinema, or like a theater type thing, guess, but、yeah. it doesn't really、um, carry、no. through at all. Exactly. So I think when I came into the theater and I saw a stage with rows of chairs, I thought they were trying to blur the lines between audience and、mm. actor. You know,、mm. the sort of idea of seeing the actor seeing the audience in the same way.、Mm. Yeah, never、but、even touched that, on. That was never followed through. They just ended up sitting in a row, and then they would just clear the the chairs and then do their little skits. Actually, kind of like going back to what Naim said about、um, Oliver being faithful to the text. I feel like yes and no, and sometimes I felt like he was trying to be too faithful, or even、mm. I felt that the play was like weird. There was a lot of Malay elements that made me slightly uncomfortable. So like the rooster started singing a lot of like Malay songs and like high raya songs and all, and I was like, okay, but. What about Kopitiam? Like there was a bit of like an overemphasis on the Malay bit, which I feel might have been Oliver's kind of like trying to I don't know not offend or insult、uh, anyone because he was getting the students to do like Malay accents and all these other accents besides Chinese. So I felt that he was trying to do too much, and I felt that also because the cast is quite big, right? I don't know how many nine. But you know, when it comes to like student plays, you end up having to give people something to do. Yeah, do. So things like skipping and singing and all these things felt like all these fillers that you're trying to do to give the students something to do. And yet, in terms of acting challenge, there was very little given to them. This、mm. for me was directing on easy mode. What is the minimum you can do as a director? Get the actors to stand on stage and face you and deliver their lines.、Mm. Yeah. To be fair, I did feel like if Oliver had been directing on like kind of easy mode, I felt like he was also trying to do a lot by putting together the verbatim text, and that's where I felt dramaturgically it didn't work. Like just how the texts were patched together. Yeah, because they were cutting each other off,、mm. and I'm not sure to what extent it was scripted or or the maybe it was some in the uncanny valley area、yes. of scripting and improv and, and some、it? improvisation、yes. as well. But it just didn't really feel that they were making anything. Very emphatic they'd or ask strong. Them, I guess he'd ask them questions like, "What is home for you?" and then gone down the line.、Yes. And these people are pretty demographically similar. Diverse. No, I thought they were very diverse, actually. Yeah,、no? you did go on. 
Yeah, I mean, I felt like, you know, some of them were not from Singapore and then like they were like, you know, some of them were Malay but with like Javanese ancestry. So I actually felt like there was a lot of raw material to work with, ironically, but well, it didn't gel well into anything ten, interesting. They're all within 10 years of each other. This isn't, we're not talking something like Cooling Off Day where you have the whole spectrum of society. Yeah. We're basically talking millennials. Yes. And so a lot of the time, the things that they had to say were extremely repetitive with each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have a conversation with a millennial, I feel like there's a lot of interesting things that they might say. Oh, yeah. But in this play, you didn't hear any of the interesting things. You heard like very surface level things. Exactly, exactly. It's just, you know, oh, I want a more tolerant society. Yeah. Uh, oh, the cost of living is expensive. And it's all these platitudes. Mm. and Platitudes is the word. Um, which people just bandy around as the sort of topic sentence of an essay. But mm. like nothing goes beyond that. And I felt... They could have used these two texts and really sought to kind of like excavate the kind of tensions between them yes. without even going into the verbatim theatre. But I'm not sure how the verbatim aspects played on the No, you're right. It was like texts. a load of people all trying to improvise the same GP essay. It was yeah. impossibly yeah. dull to listen In to. In a sense. And that's why it felt like almost two plays. Let's go back to the story and then let's break the fourth wall and sit there and... Have the fourth wall was, I mean, I don't the, mean you're wrong about this, but the fourth wall was already broken. They're yeah. staring at us the staring, entire time, even when they should be talking just, to each other. Let's just sit there and chat yeah. about anything chat. that sort of comes to mind. Mm. Yeah. I sat uh, in for a post-show discussion and um, there was a point where the actors actually, some of them actually shared a bit about their background, uh, you know, the ancestry and things like that. Mm. And the post-show discussion was more interesting than what I had heard during the play. I am not mm. surprised. Yeah. Should we give a shout out to the actors who did yeah, well. yeah. In fact, the overall standard of acting was was quite high for what is, I mean, it's a BA programme, but what is essentially a school show. Mm. I thought it's a strong cohort. It's got Yazid Jalil in it. And obviously, we know he's a very strong performer. I think we'll probably agree the strongest on the night as well. Yeah. Who else impressed you? Um, Darren Goh was pretty good. Uh, mm. He's done stuff for like finger players and nine years theatre. Um, there was one kind of like bum note where he played a, like an older like dato kind of like older man in the kampong. It was very unclear what accent he was aiming for, wasn't it? Yeah, but I did overall feel like his uh, presence, he, he yes. really had a really good stage presence. He did. And he was used quite well uh, in the show. Played age yeah. very well. Yeah. And yeah. and I think Jun Ko Chang, mm. uh, I felt he had a very good stage presence as yeah, well. In In the times when he came, I think he played an Indian shopkeeper in one scene mm. and, you know, I think he was an older character in another one. There was definitely a sense where you would be focused on what he's he's doing. Very and I watchable. Couldn't, couldn't say that for everyone else mm. in the cast. Yeah. You could tell that the actors put in a lot of work, but yeah. essentially I think they were let down by the material. I don't know. That's and how the direction. I, I think so. The material and the direction. Yeah. Well, let us move on to A Tiny Country by Attempts Put Together by... Ray Poe, who's credited as director, game designer and co-creator with some playwriting from Gene Tay. I used to play Dungeons and Dragons. And this was Dungeons and Dragons without the Dungeons and Dragons, mm -hmm. but also with too many people. So it's essentially a game for 20 people split into four tribes. And our idea is that we sit down as tribes and discuss various issues that are facing a tiny country on which we all live mm -hmm. in geographically neighbouring areas. Crises face that country. We've all got to decide and vote as a people with our four tribes, what is going to happen, and hopefully that will affect the outcome of the country. The first big challenge was a wave of immigration, 
and we had to decide whether to accept it. Our night accepted the immigration. Uh, that was me and Naeem Nabila. You went on a different night? Yeah, we accepted immigration You accepted the waiver well. of immigration. Yeah. After that, that brings problems with it. How do you deal with those problems? Riots and things like Etc. that. Etc. Yeah. yeah. And somewhat woven into that were stories which were supposedly related to our choices told by the facilitator. Yeah, so basically Faris Najit, he was the main like performer in the show. Should we so, call him the games master? Yes. Let's. So he was definitely the games master, but uh, like Matt was saying, he also told this story about his family history, um, um, kind of like being displaced and then creating their own like world. Uh, and they actually also lived in a blue house, which obviously, mm. obviously Centre 42 is also a blue house. Yep. So there's this weird blurring between like reality and fiction. Um, yeah. So he was basically playing two roles and doing that in an overlapping fashion. Yeah. So the four tribes were, I was part of the defenders who were supposed to be all about stability and um, we, are, we seemed to be the military arm of the populace and we were definitely conservatives. Then there were... The artists, the guardians... And the leaders. Yes. So, Naeem, you were a leader. I was a leader. You were basically PAP. Basically. I was actually also Defenders on the night that I played, but I did a play test where I managed to play um, the artist as well. Yeah. And then Guardians are kind of the original inhabitants of the land who have been somewhat displaced over the years by the other tribes. Mm. So there's potential for a lot going on there yeah. in terms of how we interact with each other and in terms of how the art that is created along the way by people who were sketching live and sound designers and things like that, how that can support. Mm. How did it work out for you guys? Well, firstly, I wanted to say that like the game or the experience quickly became an act of like performance, I felt. Mm. So uh, like Matt was saying, you had to kind of vote. But before you vote, each representative of a tribe had to come up and give like a one minute speech about what you were doing and why. And it became kind of like almost like a campaigning for what the country should do and what everyone should yes. vote for. Right. So because of that, during the game that I did uh, for the play test, I felt that everyone is really into performing and campaigning and almost like riffing off each other yeah. um, and that was really really great and when I contrasted it to the night that I went during the actual run um, people were not quite into it mm. and so it kind of fell flat that whole experience I felt yeah and I agree I think for me what really makes this experience work is the response and engagement of the audience mm. you really need to prepare them and bring them to the point where they feel invested in the story of this tiny country. But the way it was set up, we have this facilitator, Faris Najit, sort of telling us this story about his own displacement. It just felt a little flat. We don't really mm. feel very much for it. And everyone just goes through the motions. That's how it really felt to me. Yeah, there was a lack of clarity and a lack of responsiveness. Certainly on the night we were there, I asked around, the initial problem that we're faced with is a wave of immigration. And it's immigration from, it turns out, people who are, I guess, genetically or racially related to the Guardian tribe. Mm. But on the night, we didn't know whether it was that there were no Guardians in the country and then a load turned up, or if we already had Guardians and then like their ancestors mm. or ancestral tribes from the mainland came to... We just didn't know. Mm. I think you were saying the story of Joe, right? So just to clarify that from the actual games mastering that, mm. that Faris was doing, right? So the story of Joe was written by Jin Tae. And I feel like Jin Tae has kind of like a very lyrical, poetic kind of yeah. style. And it 
chart against the actual game that was happening in yeah. which a lot of terrible things might actually happen. Starvation, during, racism. During your time, there was a military gulag that came up, right? Well, yeah, that that was the other issue. You were absolutely <laughs> right. I, I was in a group with this... Um, young girl, bless her, who decided that, yes, we should accept the wave of immigration. I was voting against it because I thought that my tribe would not, being clearly very conservative. But she she kind of pushed that through. And she said, yes, we should bring them in, but we should make them work. And, you know, that's evil. That's forced labor. And so when it came time to argue what we should do, I said, yes, let us have the national re-education gulag. Mm. But Farah didn't actually know the word gulag or that it referred to a forced labor camp. And I think with this experience, there's an ungodly amount of homework required to deal with mm. these issues and to respond to them. And it's too big an ask. How many degrees would yeah. you need to be able to handle these issues properly? I just think like, I was wondering why the title of the whole thing was A Tiny Country at first. And then I realised like, oh, okay, he's basic, uh, they basically want us to kind of imagine Singapore and see yeah. what we would have done during certain episodes of history and stuff. But because all of us, 20 people, we have so many different ideas of what could happen, right? And we know what's happened in terms of world history. So after a while, you can talk about like wars and like yeah. crazy riots or like making the old people die off which is something that someone was talking about during oh, okay. my game like really evil terrible things right but because this game is constrained by oh what happened in Singapore I feel like those two things like never quite like overlapped in a way that made sense for the entire game there was one point at which he asked which of the tribes is likely to start a revolt hmm. and I thought our tribe would, but that it wouldn't be a revolt because we're essentially the military arm. It would be a military coup. Mm. But the rules of the game were unable to respond to that. Mm. So we just had the usual hippies with placards was what came up in the text. Mm. Yeah. So this seemed to be a, a game based on binary choices. But when you think about it, it's much more complex than that. So much more complex that... I can't really imagine any scripting which responds to the actions of the players directly yeah. making any sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that's where I also felt a little questioning, I suppose. Because, you know, it's called Tiny Country. We are presented with a map of what is an island. We are confronted with the idea of immigration. And I was thinking about the whole theme of colonialism, which yeah. featured so heavily, you know, last year in the theatre calendar. And this felt to me like it might be a bit of a continuation of that. We are basically being forced to revisit what would have happened and maybe try to forge a possible new path mm. together. But it wasn't clear to me whether we were supposed to be in Singapore or yeah. elsewhere. There is that kind of amorphous sense of place. Mm. And the other point I wanted to make was, I think you really needed to respond a little bit more to the audience mm. members. There were these really interesting ideas. So, you know, Matt mentioned that, you know, on the night which we experienced this together, there was a re-education gulag. That point could have been picked up by the creators and sort of used in the further stimuli that yes. happened. Mm -hmm. that, that I should mention that, you know, in between each task that we are meant to do as a group, there were these um, little monologues mm -hmm. that Faris would perform, which were written by Jean, and they would be of Joe, his his character's story, things about him being bullied in school, his displacement, etc. Yeah, I was in a post-show discussion where they did share that our decisions kind of um, affected certain things that happened in his monologues, but not in a meaningful way, like what Matt was saying. So I think, uh, for example, the bullying story, right? Um, I don't know which reason 
result you got, but there was two possible results. He would fight back against his bullies and then one is his father would praise him or the other one where he fought back over right. his bullies and his father his was father disappointed. His father blamed him here and was disappointed yeah. for us. Yeah, but it's not enough. Like It's not enough I mean, of a... Of a he wouldn't know that there was an alternative would you it does not seem to be consequent to the actions that you took in the game and that is the rule of role-playing games they felt like there were just two different threads i mean you could have taken out those five monologues Mm. and i don't think it would have affected the game at all do we want to talk about the end at all go for it so basically we have to make five decisions right and the last decision which a lot of people missed was whether to fight or flee the country because there's an organization like this external threat called the organization who comes and basically wants to take over like the aliens country aliens invading or something it was never really clear it was a shadowy yeah. cabal or something <laughs> It's kind of like a final boss that you don't really understand. Mm. Um, and you have to uh, decide whether you know, to fight or flight, right? And because I felt there was not enough investment in this country or understanding yeah. of what was happening, most people wanted to flee because they were like, okay, sure, like there's this thing that wants to come in and we're going to leave. Um, but leave to where? We don't know. So the ending was like quite a deflated ending for me. It didn't come across very well yeah. at all. I appreciate there were some really interesting thought processes behind it. But for me, this was just a show which needed to be executed better. You needed a really, really engaging facilitator. And knowledgeable. For the scope of what it was trying to do, you need somebody who knows their stuff. And you simply need to be able to to riff off the responses of everyone who's there and make them feel that those responses are valid and those responses contribute to the play. Yeah. Um, Just to share, because I went for a play test where we could give speeches for as long as we wanted Mm. to and most of us knew each other or were artists. It was so fun. It was like really 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 fun like everyone was riffing off each other and well, things made sense should be. Um, yeah so I felt yeah. that that might have been where it could have gone um, maybe not in a show with 20 people fewer people and a lot more research and I think do you know what I wasn't bored mm. I was often frustrated yeah. but I yes. wasn't bored true well, let's see if we thought that about the last show that we're talking about today. So, yes, and the final show we're talking about is Secretive Thing 215. Now, this is, as its name suggests, a very secret production um, by two co-creators called Lemon and Coco. Or a group. Or a group. We don't know anything. How many people are um, a lemon? I, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like I should explain this a little bit. So, it's a one-person experiential encounter. And what happens is that we are contacted by WhatsApp by this person telling us to bring a fully charged phone and earphones to report to this destination in Centre 42. And the story is that we are employees in the GMK Medical Institute. Or we, prospective. Was it prospective, prospective employees? Em- employees? We're trying out for uh, a, we're trying out yeah, for a new job. Position or something? Um, some kind of uh, totalitarian organisation. Um, so we report for scanning and we are immediately told of our grade. And I think everyone is told that they are grade C. Yeah, it was a C. Um, and your task, well, what you have to do is to basically complete a series of assignments to improve your grade up to the ideal grade A. And then you get texts which basically tell you to retrieve envelopes from certain locked boxes and you get a code to open up those boxes and so there's kind of a treasure hunt element a bit of that so pretty mundane tasks but what makes it interesting is along the way there is this constant um element of uh, a sort of a dissident in the organization trying to kind of go against the um the organization so you get all these little handwritten notes telling you to rebel to not do things and it's up to you as the participant to either 
go through the motions and follow what you're being told to do or to rebel and and there's a bit of an emotional thing right because mm. um, the main dissident is called Cheryl So and she claims that you were with her once but your memory had been erased and so you had been a dissident but now you were very 1984 isn't it exactly. very big brother so, is watching you and it leads up to like a final task that Cheryl wants you to do which is, which is to switch this thumb drive that you're supposed to deliver with her thumb drive and the idea is that you can decide whether to do that or not so me and Matt decided to rebel we are rebels <laughs> yeah so I was the good citizen and I, yeah, I think and, and I should explain were. I was feeling very flustered because what oh there's ma- no excuse yeah, there's no this. excuse there's no excuse but basically you have to do these tasks and, and you, you were to, in the PAP in to, the previous you have, show you have to walk you have to walk all over the place and I was having a bit of difficulty working out the locks and everything so I was a bit sweaty <laughs> yeah. and everything and I'm just like I'm not going to bother too much about these little notes about the dissidents I'm just going to complete my tasks so at the end yeah. I got a congratulatory text telling me that my great had been improved yeah, from a C upgraded. to a B but the two of them yeah. got downgraded no, to I, a D and we were going to be sent off to re-education camps no yeah Harmony Camp Harmony, Harmony Camp, camp. Um, yes. so, so the sense of surveillance uh, I had jaywalked on Waterloo Street and I got a <laughs> message that said do not jaywalk so I was like oh my god someone is watching me yeah. and we were all wearing kind of like high-vis vests right like yes, the we corrective were. work order kind of vest um, and sometimes you would see some people also dressed in the vest who were not other players so I think Matt, you got a few texts with like photos of you doing stuff you weren't supposed At to do as well. At the end of it, yes, they'd taken photos from really obscure angles of me breaking all the rules and trying to <laughs> help Cheryl. Which basically. is kind of thrilling, I have to say. It I, is, yeah, it's nice. I did not notice them taking those photos. And they're like, one of them is from directly overhead looking down on my bald head. The <laughs> other one is clearly like taken through railings or oh, something. Wow. So they, they got the surveillance angle really, really quite nicely yes. in there. I, I have to say that it was well coordinated and you do get that feeling of unease. And that's something I think stayed with me pretty much throughout the experience. You're constantly... Yeah feeling like you're watched and it doesn't help that you get these texts that go you're falling behind (laughs) hurry up you know you have eight minutes you have seven minutes like there's this Mm. constant sense that you need to do these things Mm. people are watching you if you take one step out of the line Mm. and whenever you go to any of these checkpoints you might see one or two people sort of lurking around maybe walking in the opposite direction so you know you're not sure whether they're other players or whether they're sort of just Dare to make I you feel. I was un- a little bit too sure of that, in fact, mm. because I'm a bit rubbish at things like this, following maps and keying in codes. I don't think I keyed in a code successfully the first time on any attempt, but I got there, you know. But people in these high vis jackets would just come up and say, "Oh no, I think it's over there." Yeah, and yes. that breaks it a bit. For exactly, me. it happened to me once. So I think I was fumbling over a lock, and someone just kind of walked up to me and said, "Oh, you need to press all the buttons down and then slide the the little thing at the bottom." Whereas, let's say it had been random young mother with a pram just walking along, and then she'd leaned over and whispered in your ear without the high vis vest on, you would have been like, "Oh, yeah, yeah. I am properly being watched." <laughs> yeah. So it's a shame they didn't build in more of that kind of scary surveillance into it it was Mm. as I was saying to you all earlier it was really like you're watching a play but you can see the stagehands in the background yeah. yeah, opening the doors and moving the props around I think you're exactly right like for me I think it had about 70% of all the material Mm. and I think what it needed was just to go that final stretch to really 
cement that overall experience. You know, we are constantly getting this idea of Cheryl, the dissident. Like, could there have been perhaps a call we get from her, mm. maybe voiced by an actress? That being said, they did do a fairly decent job in in responding to weird things, which we I think Matt, you had a <laughs> I, couple I of very weird, weird very stuff. very interesting exchanges by text, and you got some um, yeah because I was good left at the end. I followed Cheryl's handwritten instructions to go down some stairs and wait outside. And apparently I should have done something else as well. But because I'd been given this, I just followed those. And so I waited out for about 15 minutes on Queen Street and nobody came to fetch me. You yeah. had the same, right? Nabina? I did the same. So I think like, um, um, so again, so Naim was a very good boy. But obviously mm. like me and Matt were a bit naughtier. Yes, and we really wanted to rebel, but also get somehow rewarded for it in some way, right? So I was also, they asked us to remove our vest and then yeah. come out of um, the building and just wait for further instructions. Yeah. So I did the same thing, right? So no I, one came I, to pick us up. So I stashed my vest like behind a dustbin because I'm like, Mine was in my pocket. <laughs> I put all my notes in my shoe. It was so hard to walk, but I was like, no, I have to like hide everything <laughs> on my person so no one knows, right? But then like there was no one actually outside of Waterloo yeah. Centre and all you had to do was like actually just go back to Centre 42 because, so because the whole there, thing was over. I was there 15 minutes before they finally realised I'd kind of missed a code somewhere along the line and told me to go back to C42. But while I was there for 15 minutes... Throughout, they'd been sending messages saying, if you see any suspicious activity, let us know. So I was like, all right, I'll send them some pictures of suspicious activity. So I sent them a car that was waiting there and said he was waiting there a long time and I didn't recognize the radio station he was listening to. And they replied, thank you. We will take this into consideration when assessing your grade. So then I was like, I quite like that. Yeah. yeah. So then I sent them random pictures. I sent them a picture of a sticker of... SpongeBob SquarePants, which was stuck to a piece of wood on the pavement, and said, "Suspicious activity." activity. I think this speaks for itself. And then they said, "Please complete your assignments efficiently. You are falling behind," which was fair enough. But they hadn't actually sent me the code to do that, so I didn't really know what to do. Yeah, I think I was supposed to get the code by going online, but because I'd followed the handwritten instructions. I didn't go online. Yeah, because we something. wanted the dissidents yeah. to contact us or something. Yeah, we were exactly, waited to be exactly. spirited away and become part of the revolution, right? I thought a car was going to come and like get me into the car. You know what I mean? Well, like, that something... car that I took a picture of that was waiting there, I honestly thought for a while, am I supposed to get in? <laughs> that would be so thrilling. Eh? So there were these little audio clips and I just thought we should mention it. So yeah. It, yeah. apart from obviously the general context of, you know, going through these series of tasks, we are told to listen to broadcasts from the GMK radio station, yeah. which kind of sets the tone of this organization and the fact that, yeah, you know, the they're trying to channel. trying mm. to catch these dissidents and things like that. After a while, though, I just felt it was just a bit of filler. Yeah. I mean, it just sort of sets the scene, but I honestly didn't listen to everything. I think mm. probably I did the first two. And then after that, I was just like, yeah, kind of get the picture. It was well produced, but we did need a bit more world building, I suspect, Mm. there in in more forms than just the radio station. yeah, overall, I think I would say it's uh, uh, probably the the most fully formed experience. I thought it was worthwhile. It just needs a little bit of tweaking, a little bit more building in there. But Yeah. yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I quite like it. So it seems like we've managed to end up on a positive note here. I guess we should quit while we're ahead. So, yep. See you next time, and bye-bye. Thank you, bye. Thank you, bye.